welcome. Oh, oh my. Oh God. <laughs> and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. <laughs> I am Tyler Smith. I'm David Bax. And thank you for listening. David, Yeah. how you doing, aside from uh, feeling a little silly? <laughs> yeah, apparently I'm a little slap happy. But um, I did practically just wake up. I know it's already getting dark outside, yeah. but I woke up not too long before I came over here today. I love it, man. I love that it's dark by five. It's nice and there's a chill in the air. It's the best. It's, it's nice. my favorite time of year. It's good. Um, but, and uh, for those that, uh, just to let everyone know... So this is kind of the second half of our 10 best movies of the 20 aughts. Right. If you're listening to this one before 138, right. stop. Yeah. Halt in your tracks. Go yeah. back to your iTunes library. That's right. And and, and, and make sure you get episode 138 because yeah. that's the 10 through 6. These five won't make any sense. That's true. If you haven't heard our 10 that's through true. 6. We're going to make – I will find a way to reference that episode every single thing I say. <laughs> um, like that thing with my cat. Anyway, right. so uh, so yeah, uh, we we've uh, we got places to be, David. So let's yeah, just get, you you do. I got nothing I, to do. That's true. Um, so let's just get right. Let's into just get it. into it. Number five. Number five. Uh, my my top five uh, movie that I know you also love. Okay, and that's Once. Once. Yeah, that's my fifth favorite film of the decade. Yeah. Um, and it's it's the only uh, it's the only musical I have on here, which is that's not a. It's not like a documentary or something like that. There's not a lot of musicals made. Yeah, but I mean, it's something we should talk about because there were the the 2000s did see sort of a sort of a resurgence of the movie musical. Yeah. You know, with, with one of which you uh, loved, uh, what Moulin Rouge. Yeah, yeah, I, I loved it. And then some things like Chicago, which sucked. Sweeney um, Todd, which is all right. Sweeney Todd didn't see didn't see Dreamgirls, Dancer in the Dark. Oh yeah, there's a there's a good one that I did actually consider for this list. For, okay. But it didn't even end up making my my top thirty. Yeah, that's a reference to the last episode. If you haven't listened to the last episode, you won't know what I talk about when I say top thirty. That's right. I guess you could probably they might be able to. You could do the math on that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but uh, yeah, no, no large von Trier at all. Actually, in my top hmm. thirty, which um, is odd because I'm I'm almost positive that if he were to make this list, it would be populated solely by his <laughs> films. But um, that's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about once, which yeah. is uh, I've had arguments with people about whether or not it's a musical. Okay. I think it is a musical in the same way that Cabaret, the movie, is a musical. Even yeah. though all the songs, every time someone sings in Cabaret, it makes sense that they're singing. You know, they, people don't like burst into song in Cabaret. Yeah, it happens the way it would happen in the real world. In that, there's this Cabaret, and the songs are done on stage, and there are a couple like there's a like a Nazi singing in a park, but it's yeah. he's sort of singing like an anthem, like it's a patriotic thing. It's 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 all very realistic, and that's yeah. the way once is. Uh, there is there is one. It's definitely a musical, but there I, there's one song where they sing it as they're like walking down the street, and there's music accompanying them and stuff. In cabaret? No, in uh, once. Right, but it's a song that they they know. Right? Are you talking about oh when she's listening on the headphones and she's like trying to write? I, maybe, Along with it, maybe because I think I remember him walking down the street. I've only seen the movie once. What? <laughs> what? And uh, Wait, how many times have you seen once? I, just the once. Oh, okay. Yeah, this is, you can't do it. Well, you can if I say once, and you go, "Yeah, right." How many times did you see it? Once. That's no, I, I know what movie about. we're talking about. Yeah, right. <laughs> if you if you enjoy comedy like that, go over and listen to the Paul Goebel show and hear him <laughs> talk about Saw, and then you'll blow your own no, head off. It's very I, I find it really amusing when he does I that. I know, but, but it's <laughs> to me it's it's funniest if he's doing it to a completely unreceptive audience. <laughs> um, um, uh, well, I don't know what you're talking about. Okay, well, one way or another, it's definitely a musical. I think. Yeah, um, but it's not. 
the songs aren't really musical type songs. Like, oh no, uh, you know they're they're I don't know what you would call them. They're I guess they're kind of rock songs, but not yeah. not like rock rock. They're so you're saying once is like a rock opera. <laughs> yeah, well, an opera is sung through. This is not oh, sung okay, through. Yeah. All right. Um, I know way more about musicals and, and, and other gay things than you do. That's very true. <laughs> did you watch Project Runway? No. Oh, no? Yeah, there, there you go. Did you, did you catch the most recent Gossip Girl? No. Oh, I, I guess I'm right. I, I know about all the gay stuff. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> anyway, like I said, slap happy. Yeah. Um, But it's not really the... I mean, I, I love the songs. They're great, you know. Mm-hmm. But it's not really the music that is the my favorite part of the movie yeah it's uh it's sort of like uh, uh it's like lost in translation in that it's a movie that's about a man and a woman you know mm-hmm. and it it's it's hard to say if it's a love story or not it's about a connection between two people right that is uh th- that is deeper and more unique and profound than anything that you can easily label well, there is a there is an element of love story to it in that he kind of wants to head that direction. He wants to sleep with her. Yeah. Um, He's a guy. Well, yes, but also I think he feels that connection emotionally, so I think he wouldn't he wouldn't hate it if he found himself in a relationship with her. Right. But the um but at the same time, I think that's fairly early on that that happens. And she, you know, says I I don't want to do that and uh but the and their friendship continues, and it becomes clear that their their connection, as you as you say, is actually deeper than than what even he thought originally. Yeah, um, he thought it would be it was going to be perhaps strictly romantic, and in fact, it's it's deeper than that. Um, and to call it a love story, and of course, uh, the very first blog that I wrote for uh, the Battleship Pretension blog was about how on the DVD cover it has them holding hands, and clearly they wish the 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 executives like wish. Uh, that it was more of a love story and less complicated than it is. Much like, uh, as you said, Lost in Translation. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. That, that's all I have to say about yeah. that. And it's just a, and it's, the music is Like I said, I, mean, I, only saw, I only saw it once. Yeah. Well, yeah. Anyway, um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, and the music is wonderful and the performances are very naturalistic and it's just, uh, yeah, it's it's just a movie that no one, no one saw coming. And then everybody loved as they should. It's just, uh, it's just so much. Yeah, now, it's it's it? it's an indie hit that that crossed over. Yeah, only it's a much better film than My Big Fat Greek Wedding. Yeah, yeah. It, or what? What are some of the indie hits that crossed over? Little um, Miss Sunshine. Little Miss Sunshine. Much. That's not an indie movie. I know, but it's considered one. Yeah, but and and that's not good at all. Yeah, um, <laughs> it has its moments. But the, anyway. <laughs> David, you're not going to be having my number two here. Um, it's Little Miss Sunshine. That's not true. Um, but uh, so, yeah. Oh, man, I forgot what I was going to say. I think it was going to be a joke. Okay, well, we can move on. Um, all right, so that was your number five once. It's a. Uh, oh, now I remember. Ah, I'm not going to say it. Um, so, my number five is a movie that I, I, I think you love Uh huh. Uh, 25th Hour. Oh, uh, made my top 30. Did it? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's. Uh, and that's an example of one we talked about in the last episode. Uh, in my list for that year, it didn't make the top ten. Yeah. Uh, and but uh, I'm I'm amazed by how how much that film has grown in in my memory. You know, and I think and, in a lot of people's memory because I mean, it, it got no Oscar recognition. I mean, just people 
I know a lot, plenty of people who've, who still haven't seen it. Um, but I, but I, the, but I do know like more people, it, it kind of found an audience. Um, and then the people who saw it, who I saw it with at the time, it just keeps coming up in conversations I've noticed. Yeah. Um, you really do have a strong post nine eleven bent to your list. Yeah. And I didn't mean for that to happen. That's, that's, I like that. Just kind of the stuff. way it worked out. Sorry. Um, I like when that happens. But uh, yeah, but and, and that's another reason that that September that twenty uh, fifth hour is is so noteworthy is that yeah. it it was really the first film to yeah. to deal with it head on. Yeah, you know and what what year was was twenty fifth hour two thousand two. Yeah, it was yeah right after. And but what's amazing about it is that it deals with it without really dealing with it. It's about other things. You know, it's not about you know a a, a war vet or somebody who lost somebody in nine eleven. Nothing no. like that. It's just. These people live in New York, and there just seems to be a certain degree of cynicism and almost futility in the way that they view their lives, because who can focus on their own issues at a time like this? But at the same time, they all seem to be wanting to escape from reality in one, some way, shape, or form. One, one guy buries himself in his work. One guy uh, is interested in one of... He's a teacher, and he's interested in one of his students, which mm-hmm. is probably not a good call. Um and then another yeah. guy's going to jail, and it's just—it's hard to explain just the way that that nine eleven just looms over this film, and everybody, even when they're not talking about it, they seem to be talking about it. It's very—it's—it's it's that kind of complexity, and the way that I feel like—and I don't know, maybe maybe it's just me, but it, you seem to feel the same way. And most of the people that I talk to, everybody agrees that it is a film, kind of about nine eleven in some way, shape, or form, and yet it's hard to even explain why. But it's it's clearly that, I think. Yeah, but yeah, you've got, I mean, you've got the opening titles, mm. which are have the, right. the, the, the that light sort of, uh, I don't know what you'd call that. I was going to say monument, but yeah. that in remembrance thing they did, or yeah. I don't know what to call it, but the thing with the lights. Yeah. Um, and then you've got Barry Pepper's apartment overlooking Ground Zero. Right. You know, and there's not a whole lot else in the movie that, that references it even. Yeah, I mean Edward Norton, like I think, in his big diatribe, I think singles out, uh, you know, like right. Arabs and stuff. But he singles out everybody. Yeah, you know, and this is just and, one and more the, group. The, the fact that Edward Norton's dad was a firefighter, right? Right. Brian Cox. Yeah. Play, uh, that's the. It's. Uh, I don't know. I mean, maybe people who are younger or in a few years, people who are who are growing up now won't won't remember it this way, but. For a couple of years there, the word firefighter made you think of of September 11th. Oh yeah, it, it, the the two things are so ingrained. And, yeah, and you know, rescue me is on TV every week, trying you know keeping that connection alive. Yeah, but, uh, very much so. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm not a huge fan of rescue me. Um, I would say I'm not either. I, I've been uh, quick tangent. Yeah, I've been watching rescue me. I never watched it. Uh, saw that. That Michael J. Fox and Maura Tierney were both in the fifth season, and I was like, oh, I'd like to watch. I'd like to see that. That yeah. seems, sounds pretty cool. I'll start at the beginning. It's not good, but I can't stop watching it. Uh, and here's, here's I did the, stop watching it, but it is it is undeniably compelling. But I still am not on board with it. Here's my uh, the thing that I'm saying. Uh, I don't want to say it's my problem with it because I actually, in theory, I like this approach. Mm-hmm. Pretty much every character on the show is you know racist or sexist yeah or and the thing is certainly chauvinist yeah there's no outside point of view 
Yeah. And even the show itself doesn't act as an outside point of view. Yeah. It's it's the show's obviously smart enough to to know that these things aren't right, but it doesn't condemn 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 them ever. Yeah. You and, okay there? Yeah, I sort of stumbled on that word there, but it's it makes it makes it a very bizarre viewing experience because it's like I know that that's wrong. Yeah. And I think the show knows that it's wrong, but I can't tell. Yeah, it's 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 kind of in in some ways it's kind of the opposite of Mad Men. Like Mad Men, every every attitude that's kind of old fashioned and kind of sexist or racist or or not health conscious or whatever, um, I think it's treated as clearly we all know this is wrong, right? We're going to show yeah, it, even though no one in the show, right? There's something about the way it's presented, right? Um, but yes, in Rescue Me, it really feels like one of those guys is directing the show and is like, yeah, this is awesome. You know. And that's an interesting approach because I think clearly the writers, the way they write it, they're not condoning, you know, homophobia. Right. But there's not, there's no non-homophobic point of view. Yeah, which I, I, that that level of commitment is just like, yeah, this is the world these guys live in. They probably do not see, get a lot of outside influence. So why should we introduce that? I yeah. mean, this is just a portrait of these guys' lives without commentary on it. And again... I should like I I, I respect that and mm-hmm. I I feel like I should like it but it's just there's so much there's so much about it like it just you know I, I think Dennis Leary is a, a good actor I think he, that's a character that he really does well with but uh, you know stuff like whenever somebody like sees spirits or ghosts or something it's, yeah it's like there's better ways to deal with well I'll tell you I mean I'm into the third season now there's very very little of that okay it's almost completely gone okay so um, that's good. Also, I kept comparing the show to uh, The Job. You remember the cop show that he was on? Yeah. It was short-lived. It's like half a season or something like that? Yeah, and it was only like a half-hour show, and it was treated... I feel like that one actually did a much better job of mixing comedy and drama, uh-huh. whereas in um, Rescue Me, it seems to be very much one or the other. It's like, this section is comedy, now it's time for drama, now it's time for comedy. <laughs> but again, I've only seen the first season. Yeah. So, time to move on. All right, num- number four. Number four. Go ahead, David. Uh, this is a movie that... When we decided we were going to do a top ten of the decade, this is one of the first ones that left my mind without me even having to do any research into to what came out and make okay. sure I had my list. I knew this was one was going to be on the list, and okay. it's Apocalypto. Apocalypto, which All we right. have talked about at length on this show. Yeah, I've made no secret about the fact that I just adore this movie. That's a weird word to use about a movie that that's yeah. that unrelentingly violent. Yeah, but uh, it's I've said this before. I'll say it again. It's one of those few movies. Very few movies that I've, I've rented. I didn't see it in the theater. But uh, I rented it, watched it, and then immediately watched it again. Yeah. It, it's it's so compelling. And I had to watch it again to be like, I need to watch this with a different set of eyes. What did he do here that makes this movie so great? Yeah. You know, because I guess he he made... <sighs> he made a, a you know, a, 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 a historical drama, yeah. you know, a very... I mean, it's it's not actually all that authentic about the ancient Mayan. It's uh, maybe fifty fifty. It's yeah. got a lot of stuff that it exaggerates or or, or changes the timeline of, or, you know. But yeah. uh, um, but anyway, he 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 made what uh, by the synopsis is a historical drama. You yeah. know, it's a Last of the Mohicans set hundreds of years before Last of the Mohicans. Right. You know, uh, except it's not that at all. No, it's an action movie. It's a chase. Yeah. That's. You know, it's got uh, a 
big, brutal, violent raid scene at the beginning. Then you've got the march across yeah. the jungle. Then you've got some of the goriest shit I've ever seen on film. Yeah. And then you, the, the second half of the movie is just a foot chase yeah. through the jungle. It's an action movie. Yeah. And yet it's it's so smart. It says so much about uh, – it, it doesn't really bother me uh, that they that he, he got some of the details about ancient Mayan culture wrong. Yeah. Because – He's not really talking about ancient Mayan culture. He's talking right. about our society. Yeah. You know? And some of it, I, I mean, clearly Mel Gibson is a crazy person. And I don't agree with his point of view. Some yeah. of it's a little reactionary and overblown. Yeah. But it's very definitely a point of view mm-hmm. and a consistent one and uh, a compelling and fascinating one. And and also, it's incredibly violent. Yeah. Not just violent, but gory. Yeah. And that's, an, uh, you know what? React to my first point, my first points that I made. Then we'll talk about the gore. Okay. First points, uh, him being crazy, you mean? Just the, the, everything I said already. The whole thing. Uh, yeah. Um, as, I, as I said, uh, I think, I think uh, before, yeah, because we've only covered two movies so far. Uh, as I said before, uh, this seemed to be a good decade for filmmakers to just be balls out insane. Uh-huh. Not necessarily insane, but just there seems to be just a general like, you know what? Uh, I don't care anymore. I'm going to make what I want to make. You know, you get that with like Spielberg with Munich. You get it with, um, United 93, uh, children of men, no country for old men. Um, but an apocalypto might actually be, or Mel Gibson in general. I mean, he made passion of the Christ, which of course, uh, is a film I'm not a big fan of, but he made it his way. Yeah. And he uncompromising. And, with a po- and then he and he follows it up with Apocalypto, and I remember for a long time that movie before it came out that movie was seen as something of a joke, where it's just like Mel Gibson has clearly lost his mind because <laughs> yeah. he's following up Passion of the Christ with this another non English film uh-huh. uh, that's just that's apparently really gory, and so a lot of people joked about it, and then then we all saw it. And, and it's like, God, do I wish I'd seen it in the theater? Oh my gosh! Can you? Oh. someone's got to show it so I can see it in the theater. Yeah, I, I want I want Hollywood to, uh, you know, take the stick out of its ass and be like, Hey, let's all acknowledge that this is one of the best films uh, ever, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay, let's 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 have a little retrospective. But um, but yeah, and it's everything about it is just it's done with such a sure hand, and it's just. Just so, I mean, you laugh about it because it is just so, so committed, and I mean it, it com- committed in every sense of the word, including <laughs> crazy. Yeah, and just, but it's so, it has such undeniable power, and it's just so, it's done so well. I mean, it, it wasn't up for like any major Oscars that year, right? I mean, maybe yeah. maybe a couple technical, but just I know Robert Duvall nominated it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he nominated it, and he said it's like one of the best movies he's ever he said, seen in his he said life. The best film of the past twenty five years. Yeah, like, no, Robert Duvall is also a crazy person. By he the way. sure is. There's no question. <laughs> a whole movie about the tango. Now we're talking. <laughs> yeah, but uh, but yeah, and so so I absolutely agree with you. He's he's a filmmaker that whether you like him as a person, whether you like uh, Passion of the Christ, whether you agree with any of Mel Gibson's philosophy. There is no denying that he, when he makes a film, you've got to see it. Yeah. Why would you ever want to avoid it? Yeah. You know, I mean, he could make a movie. At, honestly, at this point, he could make a movie about like that's like a positive view of Hitler, and there's no question I still want to see it because it's going to be compelling. Yeah. And, 
so but, I, I'm sorry to use so much hyperbole, but honestly, he's a hyperbolic filmmaker, I yeah. think. But and now let's uh, let's talk about the gore, okay? Because it's not just in, in Apocalypto; it's in Passion of the Christ, it's in it's Braveheart. in Braveheart. Yeah. Um, what do you think it is with Mel Gibson and his obsession with the fragility of the human body? <laughs> and it's not just because even if you go back to Man Without a Face, it's like a guy yeah. you know who's who is scarred and and yeah. you know disfigured, you yeah. know. He's got an obsession with that, and I and I, I think it has to do with his like, um, I, I think it has to do with his strict, strict, strict Catholic upbringing, and mm-hmm. you know, growing up in in a tradition of people like monks who flog themselves and yeah. that kind of stuff. Like, I think there's a certain, uh, uh, I think he sees a, a cathartic release, you know, and something positive about uh, being dismembered or, mm-hmm. or or disfigured, you know. But I also I, I also think he's he's making a point because he's a crazy religious person yeah not a regular religious person like you he's oh, a crazy you. religious person uh uh about how about the 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 what's the temporariness of of the body that's that's actually what i would what i would say is um to a certain degree like you know martyrs regardless of of what what uh you personally believe um religious martyrs um there is a certain appeal that somebody holds an idea so much that they literally are risking their bodies. And I think he really buys into that appeal, perhaps, yes, because he, he grew up uh, a very specific kind of Catholic. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like he says, yes, we all like, you know, we, we all admire these martyrs, but we need to really, but I don't think you really understand what they go through. And the best way for you to understand what they've gone through is for me to show you. Yeah. It's like, this is, you know, it's not like it's you know it's like the to me it's the difference between Bonnie and Clyde and the old I don't know Public Enemy or Scarface or something like that where you know people would you know uh, gangsters would get shot but shooting basically means they clutch a part of their body and fall down uh-huh. and it's like no that's not what violence looks like we need to understand you need to understand what this really means and uh-huh. so you almost go too far with the violence to really illustrate this is not pleasant this is not easy martyrdom is not an easy thing it makes right. it makes us admire uh admire the martyr more yeah you know and it's, and just, it's, it's a, a point of view that i actually that i'm on board with not necessarily the the, the martyr thing i just mean uh, artistically showing showing i mean yeah. the history of violence of course kind of does the same thing yeah and um, the, the departed for for, yeah. for its faults is still yeah. Yeah, but 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 back to the Catholic thing. I think you really hit on something because I obviously I didn't grow up the kind of Catholic that he did. Yeah. Uh, but I was, uh, I still grew up Catholic. And you, you look at our our imagery. You know, we've got yeah. bleeding Jesus on the cross. Yeah. Like we don't just have a cross. We've got a guy haggard and just like sun bleached yeah. and with his side bleeding and spikes in his hands and feet. Like it's yeah. very very graphic imagery that yeah. is a part of our everyday life. And then, you know, St. St. Catherine, St. Catherine, I can't remember which Catherine is always depicted, uh, you know, being broken on the wheel. You know, you've got mm-hmm. the St. Uh, who's the one with all the arrows in him? Bartholomew? I, oh, you, I, you wouldn't I know. I grew up Protestant. Yeah. Uh, but you've got, you've got one saint who's always pictured like tied to a tree with arrows sticking out of his body. Oh, nice. You know, like it's, it's funny. I, until now I'd, I assumed it had something to do with his Catholicism, but I never really made that connection that I grew up with that too. Like You sure did. Yeah. Maybe that's why you like Apocalypto so Maybe. Much. All right, what's your number four? My number four is a movie that I I, I like, I don't love, but I certainly admire, uh, which is uh, City of God. 
Okay. Um, you know, I, I cannot think of a, of a more kinetic film. And we're speaking of violence. I mean, it's a, it's a film, you know, it takes place in Brazil. All these, just all these uh, young, uh, not necessarily children, but teenagers, you know, involved in uh, these gangs and just the, the violence that they live with every day. But the, the director, and I'm sorry, I never remember how to say his name. David, what do you got for I him? think it's Fernando Moraes. Fernando Moraes. That I could, sounds I could be wrong. good and easily pronounceable. That's mm-hmm. what his name is now. Uh-huh. Um, you know, uh, I'm a big fan of the Constant Gardener. So am I. I, and, like, it, I like it better than City of God, actually. Yeah, and he's just—I think I do too, actually. But but as far as just a a, f- a filmmaking feat, I think City of God. Mm-hmm. It re- first off, it really announced him as like a force to be reckoned with as far as filmmaking. But also, he just almost as much. Almost as much as Guillermo del Toro with uh, Pan's Labyrinth, he just creates this world that mo- that a lot of other people have not seen, and he just. But it's you know we've seen you know in movies we've seen slums before, uh-huh. but not like this. I mean, you really feel. I don't remember you and I once talked about uh, a long time ago how a great filmmaker, if he's making something in extreme cold or extreme heat, will right. make you feel that way. Yeah. You feel the heat of Brazil. I mean, everybody is so sweaty. You you almost you always feel like you're looking through like the waves of heat, you know, uh-huh. uh, at, at the images. Um, but it's edited in such a way. I mean, these characters, and I think it takes its cue from not necessarily the characters, but the situation the characters are in, where they don't get a break, and so we don't get a break. It moves so fast without ever seeming like a jumble. It just, it, it's exhausting, you know, and it's just such a, you know, such a harrowing look at at the material, um, and it's just so, I don't know, it's it, it's a movie that, as I said, I, I'm, I don't love, I like it a lot, I, I think I like Constant Gardner more, but I think a lot of, since that came out, 2002, uh, a lot of people I know who probably don't even watch foreign films a lot. It's it's crossed over. People will watch that movie. Yeah. And they love that movie. And there's and there's just inherent power in telling that story that way where you just you yourself feel like you're a character in it. Um and so that's yeah, that's you, why I think you're, it's you're made to understand you understand why the characters or, or the kids who grew up like that will, will glorify the gangsterism and the violence, but right. the movie itself doesn't necessarily glor- glorify right. it, or you're tries abs- not to. Yeah, you're you know, there is an right. argument that by depicting violence in a movie, you're glorifying it. But right. uh, it, it, it it walks that line very well. Yeah, you know, because it is presented in like you know gangster cool you know uh, yeah. way, but w- with a uh, from a knowing distance. At times, it's kind of exhilarating, and it's the kind of exhilaration that one of those kids must feel uh-huh. when they're in the midst of it, you know, and they're not about to die themselves. Um, and so, yeah, I could I could see someone making that argument that it, it could almost be used as a recruiting tool, uh-huh. uh, but only if you don't watch it all the way through. Yeah, um, this is um, I, as, as as you know, Tyler. I'm a big fan of of Latin American cinema. Yeah, and I didn't end up with any of them, <laughs> any of those films on my list, yeah. but. Uh, the, uh, uh, a lot of them were considered, and, and there are there were a lot of films made in the past ten years, and for actually the past twenty years or or more, uh, but specifically in the last ten years about 
poor people in Brazil. You yeah. know, there's like uh, there's a documentary called Bus 174, which everyone should see. It's oh, awesome. Yeah. Uh, a documentary called Favela Rising. There's a, a great movie about the uh, bizarre and fucked up prison system that's called Karindiru. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I'm just I'm just recommending these movies. People should see them. And to go back past this decade, see see Pichot, P-I-X-O-T-E. That's uh, it's a it's a clear sort of uh, forefather to City of God. Well, and also, the last ten years, you've seen a lot of really great, uh, you know, Latin American uh, filmmakers. Uh, or, or what is uh, Guillermo del Toro? I don't know. Is he okay. Spanish? Is I'm not sure, but a lot <laughs> of you know. I have no idea. Yeah, Hispanic. Why, why don't I know that? I don't know. <laughs> Why don't you know that? <laughs> but anyway, I, mean, clearly, I see what you're clearly. But they're like, I know I, why I don't know it. But but they uh, like Alfonso Cuarón, yeah, uh, and people like that, yeah. And uh, what's in Yuritu? No, uh, Alejandro González in Naritu. In okay, I don't know how you say. it. I think it's in Naritu. I could be wrong. Okay, um, you know, it's just and I wonder how compelling it is to listen to us debate the pronunciation of names. I bet that's really interesting. If I'm listening, if I'm if I'm listening in my iPod, I'm really just glued to my earbuds when we talk about the pronunciation of a foreign person's name. <laughs> well, I do it too. I'm not making fun of you. <laughs> and you know what? How about talking about us talking about it? How do you think people respond to that? I actually thought it was pretty funny. Fair enough. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's just, it's interesting. I mean, if you look at my top ten, Pan's Labyrinth and City of God, and then if you look at my honorable mention, Children of Men, I mean... They've really, you know, uh, I don't know, I don't know why I, I don't have any theories as to why, but just, you know, Latin American filmmakers or uh, you know Hispanic-born filmmakers, just somehow have flourished in the last ten years, uh-huh. and uh, that's uh, that's actually kind of exciting to me. Yeah, um, you know, it's it's neat when when uh, and as you say, you know, they, I mean, I feel actually kind of bad that I don't have any uh, Almodovar on here. Yeah, but this this wasn't his decade. Okay, and he made talk, talk to, to her. her supposed to, I, I didn't really see it. Good. But I didn't. Uh... It's it's really good, okay. but it's not it's not Law of Desire. Okay, that's that's my favorite of his okay. films, and that's like eighty seven or something. Okay, but in the, uh, so in the last twenty years, I mean, they like, yeah, it's really. But that's he's Spanish. Not he's not from. Latin oh, America. okay, okay, all right, all right. Well, then I'm not counting him. <laughs> all right, he can go screw himself, as far as I'm concerned. Um, but yeah, it's neat when I mean you mentioned uh, Romania, right? Yeah, uh, in the last ten years, just it's it's neat when there is just like a a new voice or a series of yeah. new voices. It's kind of like how the late nineties and the early part of this decade, but I didn't put in because mostly it was the late nineties. Uh, there were all these great Iranian films. Mm-hmm. Into the starting with the early nineties, the White Balloon is awesome, you know. But there were like uh, Time for Drunken Horses. There's the one that's called like Color of Paradise or something like that. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, yeah, I, I I I'm I've always been fascinated by those kind of trends. Yeah, you know. Uh, and that's why, I, I, like I talked about in the last episode, there's so many South Korean films on here because they had, yeah. they just had a, a hell of a decade. T- <laughs> you guys are doing great over there. <laughs> um, all right, so what are you, your number three? What's your number, number three? Number three might be on your list. Okay. It's Paul Thomas Anderson's There Will Be Blood. That is on my list. Okay, so should we save it? We can save it. Why don't we save it? Okay. All right. My number three is Wally. Oh, cool. So, um, yeah, I think it's probably, um, I, I think I like... Uh, I might like Ratatouille more. I'm not sure. I think I do. Um, and Up is great. Finding Nemo is amazing. Uh, just the Pixar really. I mean, 
toy this toy toy story movies were really great as well but just from finding nemo on they've just i'm not a big fan of cars but they've just really they haven't really hit a wrong note i mean it's they just keep upping the ante to the point there's just like i mean the every every movie they come out with is probably going to be wonderful and yeah. is probably going to wind up being you know the last 3 years up is my favorite movie of the year Wally was my favorite movie of last year. Ratatouille is my favorite movie uh, of 2007. And part of me just feels like, ugh, what's wrong with me as a person? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing is wrong with me as a person because these are amazing films. Yeah. And Except that I have problems. I didn't see Up. I have okay. major problems with Ratatouille and minor problems with Wally. Okay. But uh, you have minor problems with Wally. Yeah. Just uh, I, I feel like it's a little on the nose when it gets into the satire thing. I suppose I, uh, I I recently it, it felt like idiocracy, which you know I don't like. Mm. Although I do think this, I do think the actual sci-fi is, works better in, in oh Wally. much much better. Yeah, but, Wally is yeah. If I it's definitely on the uh, on the good side. I don't just yeah. like the film. Okay. I actually liked it a lot, but I, yeah. there are things that keep it from being uh, yeah in my top ten. Well, and what I like about it is that, uh, and and of course, listeners of my other show, my uh, podcast award nominated show, uh, More Than One Lesson. <laughs> um, it, uh, sorry, I didn't mention it this episode. Um, go and vote; you can vote every day. Um, the is that what I like about it? Much like Ratatouille, is that it, it takes the in this case, uh, it takes the human race right to the precipice of uh, condemnation. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, all the characters. First off, they're all they all speak with American accents. They all speak English, specifically American. They're all big and fat. Uh-huh. They're all way too reliant on technology, um, and it takes them right to the precipice of uh, condemnation, and then it allows them to redeem themselves, which is the idea that right. that um, when they have the opportunity to not have everything done for them and to do work for themselves and to go back to Earth as opposed to just this, you know this uh, monolithic spaceship, they jump at it. They don't, there's not even really a question. Not one human says, yeah, but this is pretty great, guys. Right. Like, they all say, well, this this is clearly what, where we're supposed to be and what we're supposed to do. And and I respect that, that, kind, of, that kind of thing. I don't like... I mean, if it were... And maybe that's because it is an animated film, per, you know, primarily for kids, and maybe if it were a... Uh, you know, maybe if it were live action... They, you know, all of the humans would say, "No, this is fine," <laughs> you know, and it'd be it'd be much more cynical. But uh, but it's not, and and of course, there's the idea that you know, Wally and Eve, they're they're strong characters, and they don't need a lot of dialogue. And it's just it's a film I think that really, it's everything that a film can be. It explore. I mean, it's it's primarily visual, as animated movies certainly should be, but also the first twenty minutes, there's no dialogue in it. It's it's a, basically a silent film, and and I'm glued to the screen. And when yeah. I saw I saw it at a movie theater, and the children in the theater were glued to the screen. They didn't care that nobody was, say, you know, nobody was saying anything, right? Because it's just. And again, as I mentioned with uh, uh, Pan's Labyrinth, just he just does such a great job of just creating this whole world, um, and you kind of get. And in the first, and and it's established without any dialogue, and you kind of get it. You understand what happened uh, pretty quick, and it just more so than than a lot of movies I've seen lately. It just it's a testament to the fact that as much as I love dialogue and and love 
you know, great acting and great characters. Film is a visual medium, and you can do so much without saying a word. And uh, and but of course, then once the dialogue kicks in, it's it's really great, and it's a very touching film. But it's just it it it's everything that I think an animated film should be, and perhaps everything that a film should be, which is primarily visual, uh, but with a, a definite you know definite satire and a definite moral, uh, but not so sharp sharp edged that it was a turnoff for me. So, Wally. There we go. Number three. All right. Uh, number two for me. Okay. Um, you know, I've mentioned the last episode, and I think and just a few minutes ago, talked about the, the uh, Romanian film movement. Mm-hmm. My second favorite film of the decade okay. is Four Months, Three Weeks, and Two Days. All right, then. Also known as the Romanian abortion movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I really struggled with... I wanted. I knew I wanted it when I was putting together my top thirty. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I wonder if maybe I should. We should. I should post. We should post our top thirties on the on the website. Well, that, I didn't make a top. All right. Oh, okay. It's fine. I'll make a top thirty. It's fine. You said you had twenty eight. Yeah, and then I deleted them. Oh, I see. I still have mine. All right. Um. Actually, maybe I don't. Anyway, uh, I I struggled with. I knew I wanted to put a Romanian film in there, mm-hmm. and I struggled. It came down between four months, two weeks, and two days, and twelve oh eight east of Bucharest. Oh, okay. Um, and uh, I'm not really sure what. <laughs> it's almost kind of a, to- a kind of a coin toss, All right. <laughs> really. Um, no, I, I'm I, I'm being I'm being glib. There's a coin toss as far as which Romanian film, but when I think of it objectively, which film is the better film? Which one hit me harder? Mm-hmm. It's definitely Four Months, Three Weeks, and Two Days, and it's because the, the Romanian films. Like Twelve Oedes to Bucharest, like the death of Mister Mister Lazarescu, and and four months, three weeks, and two days, they're very much a rea- reaction to the way things are in Romania, and the way that their their past with uh, what's the guy, the dictator's name Ceausescu? Ch- yeah, yeah. Uh, the way that that past informs the way they are today, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but uh, the difference, but Twelve Oedes to Bucharest is an interesting historical document but it's 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 on a on a topic uh specifically the overthrow of that government that doesn't resonate directly with me as an american right so the reason i picked four months three weeks and two days is because it's an abortion movie yeah. and that's uh that's a, a very uh resonant topic oh, here yeah. you know I spent probably probably on this show. I don't know. We don't really talk about it you and i no we don't <laughs> <laughs> which is probably for the best i think yeah uh, <laughs> Uh, and and also unlike Death of Mister Lazarescu in twelve oh eight East of Bucharest, mm-hmm. four months, three weeks, and two days is is not a comedy. Yeah, <laughs> the it's not a fun movie. It's I mean it's it's watchable. It's compelling, you yeah. know. But it's it's, it's not it's a heartbreaking. Ruth is what you're telling. No, me. no, <laughs> no. It's heartbreaking and and it's and it's disturbing, uh, and it's just incredibly sad. Uh, but I, I, I think anyone, uh, uh, maybe this is my liberal point of view, but I think anyone who has any opinion, really, uh, a strong opinion on abortion, owes it to themselves to see this movie. So it's me, it sounds like. <laughs> sure. I should, I should see this film. I think everyone should see it. Okay. Um, yeah, I remember uh, it being uh, touted as one of the best uh, films of that year. What was that? Oh, wait. Oh, wait. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. I, I forgot it was that recent. Um, well, I don't think it... Um, I don't think I, I didn't see it until like early this year. Okay, but um, yeah, it's an '08 film. Okay. Um, all right. So my number two. You mentioned uh, when we were talking about Pan's Labyrinth, 
Uh-huh. You mentioned uh, Peter Jackson. This is almost too obvious. I'm sorry, everybody. The Lord of the Rings trilogy. Really? And yes, I'm counting them as three. I'm counting, counting those as one. three yeah. as one because yeah. that's how they were meant to be seen, I think. Um, I don't blame you. Yeah. Uh, also, it saves me, you know, from having to commit. Um, <laughs> and that's the thing is if I had to take them one at a time, I don't think they would show up on, on the list. But, See, and that's the thing. I do look at them as one. Uh, it's, it's three separate films because yeah. that's the way they were released. That's the way I saw them. Right. And that's the way I ranked them year to year. Mm-hmm. And that's the reason they're on, on my list. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm counting them uh, as one because the, the they're fairly unique in the way they were released and the way they were made. I think I think they do benefit from viewing them as one film. You and I, of course, watched all the extended versions in one day. Yeah. And uh, and I think it does really... I want to do that again. I do too. <laughs> um, I think it really does feel like one huge uh, Von Stroheimian uh, type <laughs> yeah. film. But, uh, but, but aside from that, um, it's just a film that really... You know, when you think about it, most straight-up fantasy films are... I feel like they're kind of rejected by most audiences because it's just like, eh, this is dorky. But I know, and Lord of the Rings is still viewed as kind of dorky, but I, everyone I know has seen them and likes them, with the exception of friends of the show, Graham Elwood. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the, you know, it's just, it, it managed to kind of capture the audience's imaginations. And I know, that, I know that's kind of a cheesy way to put it, but people seem to put aside their personal preferences and saw it, perhaps because it was a big event. It's probably the biggest event cinematically of the last 10 years uh-huh. um but also well, there was rv that's true oh <laughs> <sighs> i gotta reorganize this list <laughs> um and so so i think you know i think that's an element to it is is the amount of hype and buzz that it had um and the fact that i think it lived up to that um and no, so oh, I, I will speak as a guy who generally doesn't like fantasy yeah and I'll and I'll and I'll tell you why Lord of the Rings works. Okay, um, is because mostly because of the performances and the dialogue. Yeah, uh, the the way that the characters relate to one another is is relatable, and that's I think a lot of people's problems with fantasy is it's it's too alien. You know, yeah. it's it's too removed from reality. You know, and e- even though there's lots of crazy stuff and crazy creatures and awesome fireworks that do weird things in uh, in Lord of the Rings, I don't know. I don't know why that's one of the most memorable yeah, parts of the trilogy to yeah, me. But I, you, yeah, there's also huge volcanoes and flying dinosaur type things. Yeah, but you latch onto the fireworks. I, love, I love the fireworks. Yeah, they're fine. I think I think it was probably the moment because it's early enough in the first film, the yeah. moment that I realized, all right, I'm on board. Okay, those right, fireworks are cool. Um, but it's the it's the way that you know that like. Again, speaking of early on in the first film, the 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 Gandalf and Bilbo relationship was compelling yeah. to me. You know, yeah. there, I, I, that's that's the kind of thing that keeps a non fantasy fan like me coming back. And that it's just, uh, it, in addition to being fantasy, it's also a great adventure movie. You yeah. know, it doesn't get bo- too bogged down. Like, frankly, I've never been able to finish the books or even the first book. Okay, because. It is it, to me. It does get too bogged down in like the minutia of the world, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's so Wes Anderson is not the mo- the guy who directed <laughs> no. movies. And it's you know it's very interesting, and, uh, and I really respect that Tolkien did so like develop the word world so much, yeah. you know. But um, the reason Lord of the Rings works for non fantasy people is that it's it's characters that uh, even though they're not 
strictly human and not all of them yeah uh behave and relate to each other in understandable human ways and that it's just a really great adventure movie yeah i feel yeah you're absolutely right when it comes to something like this which is so alien to most audiences they definitely need uh like an entry point and of course the characters are the best way to do that um which is why showing it Primarily, though not exclusively, uh, from Frodo's perspective, he's somebody who hasn't seen all these things, and neither are we. And so yeah. his, we are allowed to... And luckily, he's not a big whiny bitch like uh, Samwise Ganji. That's, I like Samwise, <laughs> all right? And I feel like, quite frankly, of all the characters, like, yeah, in this situation, I'd probably be this one. The one who's just like, this sucks. No thank you. I'd really prefer not to be doing this. Um, no, I'd, I'd like to make fun of Samwise Ganji because he cries and, and is a big puss all the time but he is really uh the, the friendship between them is one another one of the things oh, yeah. that keeps me coming back you know when when Frodo is, is attacked by the spider thing you yeah. know what what Samwise does is really moving you know and yeah. he is he is part of the heart of the film so I'm you know I like to be facetious but yeah. uh well and just here, and here's to you Sean Astin <laughs> so here's uh yeah and there's so much potentially cheesy stuff and it's even done in kind of a cheesy way but the the commitment of everybody involved as you know that's something that i repeat a lot is just commitment of filmmaker commitment of actor just where it's like you know i know this is cheesy but it's not cheesy to these characters Mm -hmm. it's important to them so we'll treat it like that but there's still a sense of fun it's not it doesn't you know it doesn't feel like a slog where it's like all right we're gonna show like the dark side the gross side of middle earth no, it's it's allowed to be lush and green and beautiful and 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 as you mentioned, Peter Jackson is a guy who really with this with this uh, with these films especially, he really understands um, how to use special effects for his you know for mm-hmm. the for the benefit, and he doesn't rely too much on computer effects. Like he understands that you know I don't need to have ban- I don't need to use the the, the computer to make Gandalf look bigger than Bilbo. I can just use right. this. I can use like these old fashioned kind of tricks. Yeah. And, and I like that. I like that. It's not too dependent on that. But and it, and but I like he... that the orcs, when you're up close, those oh, yeah. are, those are people in costumes and makeup, yeah. you know, it's not like those fucking zombie things in I am legend, which is yeah. the worst decision ever. Yeah. And it's it just, just ruined that movie. <laughs> oh. I know. I know. And it's, and, and I've, I've talked about it way too much on this podcast. I think, I think you have, <laughs> but it really bothers me because I was so on, I really liked that movie. Yeah. And I still do like it. Actually. I would watch yeah. it again in a second. Um, no, it's two hours long, David. No, but now I would, if you said, do you want to watch, uh, I am legend right now, it would take me a second to say yes. Oh, okay. All right. Fair enough. Um, and then, uh, yeah. So I, I feel like it's, it's an obvious choice, but for, for a lot of reasons, um, Lord of the Rings is is uh, the the trilogy is my is my number two because it's just it's yeah it's just a, a great series of films and it's it's very difficult not to get swept up in them um, to the point that you and I spent twelve plus hours watching them all and we want to do it again like yeah. that's the amazing thing yeah. you know if we watched uh, if we watched uh, twenty four hours worth of uh, the first season of twenty four as you and I once talked about doing. Uh, I don't think we'd ever want to do it again. Maybe no. because of 24 hours, but still. Like, yeah, because 24 isn't as good as Lord of the Rings. That's true. The first and, season's pretty good, though. Yeah, but I, I mean, I know a lot of people that always, they, they revisit the books every few years. Yeah. And the movies, I feel like I want to I go back into that world on a f- frequent basis. And uh, it's just, yeah, they're, they're 
wonderful films. I really enjoyed it. Number one, David, you've got it written right there. I can't see it, though. Okay, I'm glad. Um, all right. This is going to make me mad. No. Right. You haven't seen it, though. Okay. Um, I, 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 did, I had my, my Apocalypto, my There Will Be Blood, you know, the big sort of, you know, movies that just are big, you yeah. know? I mean, they're still artistic films, you know, yeah. but they're very big. And I had my four months, three weeks, and two days, which is the big issue film, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, but uh, for my number one, I chose a very personal film that okay. not a whole lot of people have seen. All right. But it's a movie that I... It came out in 2006, I think, but I didn't see it until last year or maybe even earlier this year. Mm-hmm. And it was it was the movie that initially got me thought, got me started thinking about that we need to do a top 10 of the decade because when I saw it, I was like, okay, this movie's a few years old at this point. This is not just the best movie of that year. This is... Right. This might be the best movie I've seen in 10 years. Mm-hmm. And it's Shane Meadows' This Is England. This Is England. Yes. All right. It's the first one that I knew was going to be on my list. Yeah. You bring it up a lot, I've noticed. It's since, a great, since watching it. great movie. Okay. Well, what's it about, David? Um, it's it's semi-autobiographical. It's about a, a young kid in the 1980s in England um, who's uh, apparently – you don't see a whole lot of his home life, but apparently doesn't have a father, just a, a single mother mm-hmm. uh, who doesn't have a lot of control over him. He's not super well liked at school. He's he, he's he's an angry kid, and he meets up with. He's probably about twelve, thirteen, okay. maybe. He meets up with some kids who are like sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, who are like mods and skinheads. Yeah. Now, to, for those who don't know the whole history of the skinhead thing, this is not not all skinheads are neo Nazis, right? And originally. I don't think any of them were. It was it was just along with like the sort of mods and rude boys and all that thing. It was like uh I'm sure one of our English listeners could probably give me a you know make me look foolish and give me a more uh a more well-rounded <laughs> description yeah. of the whole movement. But it's essentially just sort of like uh working class people uh who are sort of angry and on the fringes of society, mm-hmm. you know. And so he sort of falls in with these mods and skinheads. Um, and so it's, yeah, in, in that sense, it's a personal film. It's about this, it's, like I said, semi-autobiographical. It's by a young kid being accepted by these older kids. And then something happens where this older skinhead, played by Stephen Graham, mm-hmm. uh, you know. Who, oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, for those who don't know, he was uh, uh, he was Babyface Nelson in, uh, in Public Enemies, but he's also... Uh, Jason Statham's little sidekick guy yeah. in uh, in Snatch. Really great performance in Public Enemies. I really liked him. It really is. Uh, well, you haven't seen anything yet until oh. you see This Is England. He plays a skinhead who gets out of jail. And while he was in prison, uh, I guess English prisons are like American ones in that they are apparently very much uh, stratified by race. Okay. And he fell in with the Aryans. Okay. And he comes out and he starts injecting this neo-Nazi Aryan... Uh, dialect into the skinhead culture and sort of divides the hmm. group, you know. And there, there's, there's the one sort of the guy who was the sort of head skinhead in the group takes one group of people, and then our our guy, the the, the little kid, uh, ends up going with Stephen Graham and hmm. and and falling in with the neo Nazis and doing some awful things. Yeah. And uh, I don't, I don't really want to go any further than that. Right. Right. Obviously. Um, but it's you know I, I I might have been wrong in saying that it's just a personal film because it's obviously I mean it's about 
it's about racism and class and and the way that uh you know <laughs> the way that angry poor white people lash out in the wrong direction because mm. and 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 why they feel a sense of entitlement yeah. you know whether they're rich or not they feel a sense of entitlement to their country and to the jobs in their country mm. and uh and and it, and it and it explores that um and it's I don't want to say it's sympathetic. Obviously, yeah. uh, Stephen Graham is not ultimately a sympathetic character, yeah. but he is scarily relatable. You know, yeah. And, and and so, in addition to being a personal film, but a, a coming of age story, it's it's also about these huge topics. Yeah. And that's why it's my favorite film of the past ten years. All right. Well, uh, I guess you can tell what mine is. Um, yeah. <laughs> which, I didn't uh, want to say anything because I was ho- hoping the audience had forgotten. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so, oddly enough, a couple years ago, it was your favorite movie of that year. Uh Uh-huh. Um, and of course, again, this is not necessarily my list of favorites. This is my list of bests. Uh Uh-huh. And I think it's the best movie of the last ten years. Um, I will go ahead and say, uh, if we were going with favorites, my favorite of the last ten years is A History of Violence. That's not what we're talking about, or at least not what I'm talking about. Uh, There Will Be Blood, I think, is the uh, the best movie of the last ten years. All right. So now you got me thinking about what my personal favorite movie of the last ten years is. It might be Apocalypto, actually. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty exciting. Yeah. Um, anyway, let's talk about the Dolby Blood. Well, yeah. like I said, you know, when I made my top thirty, it's funny because I don't like Boogie Nights. Yeah. I don't like Magnolia, and yet Paul Thomas Anderson is the only director who appears more than once on my top thirty list hmm. with Punch Drunk Love. Yeah. And, and this, and I think that that says something. Yeah. Uh, he he's a guy who when he's not just blatantly aping another filmmaker mm-hmm. uh, is just powerfully and uniquely and singularly talented. Yeah, I uh, I like all of his films, by the right. way. Um, and I, I, I would I'd venture to say that I, I love Magnolia and I love Punch Drunk Love, but then you see There Will Be Blood and you feel like, uh, I did not know he was capable of this. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just so... It's so, uh, and you know, you could say the same thing about, like, if you saw Sydney or Hard Eight, and then you saw Boogie Nights, you're like, I would not have guessed this. And then you see Magnolia, you're like, I could see this from Boogie Nights. Yeah, those are kind of. But the same. it's kind of a, you know, there's some twists on there that's like, well, that's kind of weird. Um, and then Punch Drunk Love comes along, and you think, none of a, I would not have expected that either. I don't think, I can't imagine anyone saw Punch Drunk Love coming. Anyone who saw the way it, like through the right set of eyes and yeah. understood it should be just amazed and shocked by it. Especially yeah. if they saw it, like if they hadn't heard anything about it, like you and I, you and I saw it opening weekend, I think, yeah. you know? Um, yeah, that's, uh, that, that's what I'm talking about. That's, that's the, when I'd say singularly talented, there's, I don't think there's anyone who would have thought to make punch drunk love that way. Right. You know, uh, but let's move on to there will be blood. Yeah. And so there will be blood comes along and you're just like, this is, it's like I'm, it's like I'm just, it's like I'm discovering him, uh-huh. even though I've been a fan of his for years. You watch it, and then I've I've watched it several times since first seeing it, and it's just, it's astounding. People are going to be talking about it for years, and not just because you know it won some Oscars and great performance. It's just a, uh, we've discussed it in uh, much like uh, Apocalypse Now and Vertigo. It's just a film where it's not perfectly done. It doesn't feel sloppy, but it just feels so 
there's just so much passion put into it. Yeah. And and I, I can't I, I don't know why he felt the need to tell this story, but I you know, it's almost like this character just emerged. And I guess he you know, I, it's based on something else, but at the same time Very loosely. Yeah. From what I understand. And so this, I didn't read I haven't read Oil or is it called Oil? Oil, yeah. Yeah. With an ex Oil. Yes. Oh, like like the informant. Indeed, yes. Uh, and but so, a friend of the show, Frank McGrath, read it, and he gave me a, a little book report. Okay. <laughs> he said, no, all he said is that it's not very similar to the movie at all. Yeah. And so, but for him to <clears throat> read that and then read about this, this character, and then the character just stays in his mind and grows, and then the character says, I need you to tell this story about me. Uh-huh. And he says, uh, okay, how do I do that? Yeah, we'll figure it out as we go along. Not as we, it doesn't feel uh, slapped together or anything. It's just, but it doesn't feel pristine. You know, that's one yeah. of the things, that's one of the reasons that I like it more than No Country for Old Men, which is, of course, a, a wonderful film. But, you know, the Coens always, almost always feel like their films are just so lovingly polished and, and just shaped and stuff like that. I mean, There Will Be Blood, it just feels like something just came raging out of. Uh, Paul Thomas Anderson, which I realize sounds vaguely uh, uh, gross, but it's just it. It's like he just just he gave he just gave birth to this freaky looking child, and yeah. it's it's hard. It's just such a hard film to really explain because it seems very straightforward when you watch it, but you just feel like there is something so much larger going on, and it's bigger. And it's and it's not just a product of its time, it, you know. It's a product of America, as strange as that In sounds. In the 20th century. Yeah. But it's also... Here's why I think it works so well, uh, or why I think it's so personal and passionate. Mm. Okay, it's been said that if you want to be a, a critic of movies, you shouldn't live in Los Angeles. Yeah. Or you shouldn't work in Hollywood. Uh, but I, I, and I... And here's what I think that... Uh, here's the exception to the rule, is that I... Uh, I no longer work on movies or anything, but I did, mm-hmm. and I, I, I grew to understand that to be successful in in as just cutthroat and often soulless a business as this is, you have to be crazy ambitious. Yeah, and I, and I don't mean crazy as in very ambitious. I mean you kind of have to be a little out of your mind, yeah. ambitious. You know, a little sociopathic. Yeah, essentially, and. Uh, I don't know if Paul Thomas Anderson himself is like that. I imagine he is a mm-hmm. little bit because he's a very strict uh, director and a yeah. very successful and personal one. Uh, so maybe he's looking inward in in creating Daniel Plainview. Plainview, mm-hmm. but but that sort of sociopathic drive is the it's the underside to the culture that we all celebrate by doing this podcast and, and yeah. watching movies. It's it's a it's a natural i almost said byproduct but it's not even a byproduct it's almost the lifeblood of our industry mm-hmm. is in, incredibly ambitious to a fault people yeah yeah and it's and it's uh you know to to go back to what you and i were were saying a moment ago it's it's very you know it's it's very uh american just the idea that ambition is how you succeed you can't uh-huh. succeed. By, I mean, I guess you could succeed by stuff just falling in your lap. Um, but Oh, sure. Yeah. We'll but always the, have Jessica Alba's. Well, <laughs> that's right. That but at me. the same time, she's working very hard to no, yeah, that not was, eat or whatever it is she does. And so I just put, pulled some out of the blue. She actually seems pretty nice. Yeah, she seems like a perfectly fine person. Anyway. Um, I liked Honey. 
I saw that movie. Uh, I know you did. <laughs> and so, um, and I think that's adorable, <laughs> by the way. Um, and so, so it seems to, I mean, Daniel Plainview is, is a character who's like right there with like Vito Corleone, like a guy who recognized that in this country, I have a, I have a, I have a, a new start or, or whatever, but I need to be willing to do some things that I may not be that happy with. And f- step one is not to view people as people uh-huh. if, at best obstacles, you know, uh-huh. and he really does that. And it's just, and what I like is that, is that plain view, his, his dislike of people is not necessarily a product of his ambition. It just seems to be there and runs concurrently with his ambition. Like, I think the two, two things feed off each other. Very much so, yeah. It's um, a symbiotic relationship between his right. misanthropy and his ambition. Yeah, but you don't know which one started first. <laughs> right. And and that's what I like, is that he's just a character that's hard to sympathize with, but you're, you know, you're always on board with him in the sense that I just want him to start doing the right thing, and he's never right. going to. And it's that kind of, you know, it's hard to... There's a reason that he's been compared to somebody like a like a Charles Foster Kane. Uh-huh. Where you just he just keeps making decisions that if if he made them, if you knew a guy and he made those decisions, you would not like him. But we're being forced to hang out with him in this film and try to figure him out. And you realize you can't figure this guy out, but you but it's giving you enough clues that you can work on it. You know, he doesn't he's not just distant. and It's like, well, I'll never figure him out. That's the end of that. They give you just enough that you are so that you're intrigued. And it's like if I try hard enough, I'll I'll get you, Daniel Plainview, and you and you can't. Uh-huh. But he'll never stop. That's the great thing. <laughs> um, it's just such a you know, and it's beautifully shot and and beautifully edited, and it's just you know, it, it's just it's it's astounding. I can't. You know what? Now that I, I've talked myself into watching it again, now that I think about it, <laughs> I, I you know it's. I was ha- that's one that you know I, I was happy that I saw it in the theater uh, twice in fact really um, yeah I saw it once because it's just it's everything you know it's a it's a cinematic experience that's what I like uh, mo- not most about it but is that it's a film that really kind of like Wally uh, just really understands what a movie should be and the kind of scale it can be on you know and still be surprisingly personal so anyway. Sorry that I uh, was so non-specific uh, during my discussion of what I think is the best movie of the last. 10 no, years. I think you you summed it up. Okay, good. Um, uh, there's, I wish I had made a list. There's okay. another little like subtopic I wanted to do and I had forgotten, which is not necessarily honorable mentions, but underseen films uh, of the past ten years. You know, sounds to me like we've got a topic for next year. Okay, uh, next week. <laughs> next week. Okay, that sounds good. That to sounds me. good to me because <laughs> I got somewhere to be. Um, but, uh, yeah, so of course, oh, uh, you do. I- I'm sure that, uh, you know, we're going to get a lot of feedback on this. You can always talk about it, uh, with us and other listeners on, uh, the Battleship Pretension Forum. Uh, you can always email us, uh, Tyler at battleshippretension.com or David at battleshippretension.com. Uh, you, you can, can follow, you can please, please follow me on Twitter. Yeah. At, You're getting there, David. At the pretension and tell your friends to follow me. Yeah. That, yeah. yeah. Why? Because I want everyone to follow me oh, okay, on Twitter. Okay. Fair enough. Um, I've got yeah, no so, shame. No shame. Well, there, you really have no shame, but what I will say is that... And I'm that, good at uh, Twitter, is the thing. You are very good at Twitter, yes. Yeah. Um, you can follow me uh, at More Lessons, uh, which is my excuse me, my Twitter for uh, my other podcast, More Than One Lesson. Which is uh, nominated for a podcast award, which you can vote for. That's right. Every day. Every single day. 
you you know and it and you can if you have multiple email addresses as i do hey you can do those you know i think it i think that's how they identify as by okay. email address so so uh yeah you can help me out with that you can go and uh we've actually been getting a surprising uh number of donations lately david oh, thanks and, uh, thanks and guys to say, uh, thanks to everybody for that we really appreciate it um you can go over to itunes and write us a nice review i think that is it Yes. Oh, and subscribe so, if you're not subscribed. It helps indeed. us. It Absolutely. Helps us. So, um, yeah. So, thanks, everybody, for listening, and uh, we will get you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.